0: Well, I invite your attention this morning to Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, and uh, if you're visiting or you forgot your Bible, that's going to be on uh, actually just page 2 of the Blue Bible, if I'm not mistaken, page 2, so that should be easy to find. And if you're visiting and you don't have a Bible, you need a Bible, please feel free uh, to take that Bible home with you. We want that you to have that as, as this. Uh, Judy, I know I, you do not like this, but uh, sister, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to acknowledge you. Judy Braden has been super busy the last two days getting together a lot of things for our church in relation to the Bibles and other things. Judy, thank you for all that you do, and thank you for all that you keep us going with. And uh, so, Judy... Um, if you do not know, not much happens around here administratively without Judy uh, pointing us and saying, hey, don't forget about, just like there, hey, Darren, don't forget there are two Bibles <laughs> down in the basement of the bag. So Judy, thank you for keeping us straight, and thank you for your love of Christ as well and all that you do. Well, today we are continuing our study uh, through the book of Genesis, kind of on and off, through a six-week series, through the, the, the topic of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And I think I would be uh, remiss to say that this is a tough topic. We seem to have entered into waters that are deeper than we need to, and our floaties aren't going to carry us very far. We need a little stronger life vest on. And so, friends, as we do, I know for many of you, the topic of biblical manhood and womanhood seems so anti-cultural that it's hard to understand, and I I, I see that. But at the same time, as we study today, I pray that you pray as we did last week, that God, whatever you would show me, that that is what we would do. But before we get there, I I have to share with you a couple of stories about motherhood that are very apropos to what we're going to be talking about today. And if you're a mom, perhaps you can relate to these, or if you have a teenager, you definitely can relate to these, or a husband, perhaps, at that regard. Um, There was Andrea Harvey, a recent story in the uh, uh, Houston Chronicle was featured that she had a story telling about her teenage son who wouldn't help with the simple task of warming up things in the microwave. And as any good mother would, she yelled at him and said, David, you can easily take food out of the freezer and heat it in the microwave. You know how to push buttons, don't you, David? Mind you, David is a scholar in his high school. And David simply said back, well, mom, I definitely know how to push yours, don't I? And (laughs) most moms know how that goes. Or after a heated debate, husband Fred and wife Gladys sat on their porch to sip some coffee. And Gladys just yelled out, I love you. And Fred asked his wife, is that you or is that the coffee talking? And she replied, it's me and I'm talking to the coffee, Fred. Get over it. So (laughs) that may be how you feel with this topic about biblical manhood and womanhood, we seem to push a lot of buttons and we seem to misunderstand perhaps the thing that we're talking about. But relax, conflict doesn't mean that there's not love in a relationship or love in a church. It just means that you're alive. It means you're a real person and that sometimes those things happen. But when it comes to stress and motherhood and relating to all those things, or even as a husband relating to his wife, that is sometimes the hardest thing to do. And in the body of Christ, that's the hardest thing to do. Because friends, the thing that binds us together is not our favorite sports teams today. It's not your It's not your love of cars, it's not your love of, uh, of, of, of gardening, it is your love of Jesus Christ. And often, just as we will talk about today between men and women, it seems like the only thing that brings us together is one thing, and that is Christ, and that's what it should be, because ultimately that's where it comes from. As we go into this topic, I was reminded of a verse from Proverbs 20, verse 19, which says, A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. That's one to hold back in your pocket, isn't it? The most sensitive and the most important issue that is clear all over the Bible but is under attack is one that is often gossiped about between men and women in inappropriate ways. It is, what does it mean to be a biblical man? What does it mean to be a biblical woman? Because, friends, we need to rediscover that. Because by rediscovering what we have today as we continue through this study, we will rediscover what is closest to God's heart. And if we want to be closer to God's heart, what better way to start than to who we are today? So what does it mean to be a biblical man? What does it mean to be a biblical woman? Well, friends, here's the big idea today, the simple thesis of our sermon. It says, being a man or woman has nothing to do with how much God loves you, but it has everything to do or has something to do with how you love God. Hope you see that distinction. You see, the loudest voice for gender, it's hard to believe, but a year ago we were debating bathrooms. You may remember this. A year ago we were debating, should you use this bathroom, should you not use that bathroom? That's not the point of the sermon. But one thing you need to know is the loudest voice for those discussions, the discussions about what it means to be a man, the discussion about what it means to be a woman comes from God himself. And it doesn't matter how strong or tough or gruff a man is, if, the shift, or if he shifts blame or responsibility, he has gender confusion, as we'll see in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam. And you're single or you're married or whatever it is, find your completeness in Christ. And even if you get married, find your completeness in Christ. Friends, that's what we're here to do today as we look at this. But I know for some of you, this topic is like taking, if I may, How many grew up with chalkboards, not dry erase boards? Chalkboards. You know what I'm talking about? You know what someone did when they got mad? They took their nails and they went, yeah, I I don't even want to go there. Friends, you know, for some of you in yourself, maybe not said out loud, but for some of you, this is like a proverbial grading of nails on a chalkboard. For many of you, this is a balm, as the old word has said, that heals a great wound because you have thought these things, but now the scripture is speaking by the Spirit to you in these things. I don't know where you're at today, but I pray you are open to what God may speak to you about. So what are we looking at in Genesis 3 today? First, we need to see that God has created men and women to do three things. We need to see three things. We need to understand how sin has warped the effects of our relations one to another. Second thing we're going to look at is we need to understand what you are to do. Because many of you are doers. You, Darren, that's great talk up here, but what's the practicality of this? And finally, we'll do just that. We will apply it practically. How does this work? Well, friends, if this topic may not seem big to you, let me inform you what understanding what a biblical man and woman actually does. If you understand the effects of manhood and womanhood, you can understand who God is and God is not. You can understand the gospel or what the gospel is or the gospel is not. You can understand how to express your sexuality, if you will, by what a biblical man is, what a biblical woman is not. You can understand how to love your spouses, how, as a single, how you can prepare for marriage if God is calling you to marriage. And finally, how to raise your children. These are all just a smidgen of topics that are affected by getting what we are talking about from the pulpit the next few weeks correct because as we saw last week God created men and women equally but with distinct roles man was created to be the head woman was created to be the helper but now we have to see how sin affects that do you ever think about that yeah ladies I know that affected me in our marriage because I'm not a good cook so that is one way that sin has affected our that in the fall I can go buy things but I can't cook things for some of you, it's opposite. But is that really what we're talking about? No, we're talking about deeper things. How does this affect, gentlemen, how you are to portray yourself at home, in the workplace, in the church? Ladies, the same questions. How does this affect how you are to portray yourself at home, in the workplace, at work, wherever you may go in the church? With those things in mind, let's look at them as we stand together. And if you, I'm going to uh, warn you, we're going to read all chapter 3. <laughs> Woo! We're going to read 24 verses, so if you need to sit down or, or if you can't stand along, no shame, no pressure. If you're able to stand for that whole time in honor of God's word, let's stand together. Genesis chapter 3, as we look at what it means to know God's word and to make it known in our lives as biblical men, biblical women, as God's desire and design. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, Did God God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You won't surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So verse six, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that its delight was to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took off its fruit, ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew themselves naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves a made, made themselves loincloth's. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord and God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? And the man said, verse 12, the woman whom you gave to be with me she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent, or the snake, deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you and all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat in the days of your life. I'll put enmity, verse 15, between you and the woman and her offspring, and her, and her offspring, your offspring and hers. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." And to the woman he said God I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing in pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you and he said to Adam because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken; for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Verse twenty: The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And then, verse twenty-two, he said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil." Now, lest he reach out his hand and take out his tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out man. And at the east of garden Eden, he placed a cherubim or an angel and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard to the tree of life. Those are our first representatives, especially Adam. Let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we confess That we live in a culture that teaches us things that are not biblical, not just in relation to our topic today, but most of all in relation to you, because it all flows from there. Father, guard our hearts, our minds, our eyes from the wiles of the devil. Father, help us not to give into temptation, but help us and deliver us from the evil one, as you commanded us to pray in your prayer. Father, we thank you that by grace we can walk in this way. But Lord, we need strength. We need strength to fight against the culture, not just to be anti-cultural, but to be glorifying to your name. Father, help us not divorce those two thoughts, but at the same time, Father, help us not to be so much of the world that we forget that we are primarily all of you. Father, we pray all these things to the glory of your name, in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. As I mentioned, the first thing we need to look at this morning as we examine what is the purpose of man and woman, we need to understand what has been sin's distortion, how it all got warped and messed up and, and basically there. And we're going to start, gentlemen, if I may. Uh, ladies are not first on this one. We're going to start with the men. How did this all get messed up? I want you to see first off that this all got messed up by the men and their pathetic abandonment of duty. Did you notice there in verses 1 to 5 that Adam stood by and did nada? Did you see that? Did you notice what we read? He said he stood by and he was there when his wife ate the fruit. The serpent comes. You notice that the serpent does not, Satan does not come to the head, Adam. He comes to the woman. He's subverting God's design from the very start because he knows. And he says to the woman, why don't you lead? Why don't you make the decision? And in verse 17, it says, uh, God told Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife, before God even addresses the fact of disobedience that he did that, he fundamentally says, Adam, you were watching instead of leading. It's huge. You stood by and did nothing. Adam, you were a wimp. You were a puny little wimp. You were a chicken, Adam. What were you doing? And then Adam has the gall to blame the woman. Well, she made me do it. Adam, you're not helping your case here, brother. If you can't, yeah, as one of the famous preachers said, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. And that's what Adam had to say. He had a pathetic abandonment of his responsibility. And it's guys, it's still there today. We have men who would rather watch TV, surf the net, never come home from work, never take responsibility. Males who think they're men just because they're little boys shirking the responsibility God gave them to do. And it all started with this guy whose name Was Adam. But notice also that he gave up something. He used a self centered misuse of power. That's the second thing. Notice that he says in verse 16 that he, Adam, is going to rule over her, that is, Eve. He tells that rule over you is not in a good thing. That is a harsh thing that God is using, it's a distortion. Of God's design, because men at this point, from this point forward, now with sin, will now take a self centered approach to how they are to lead women in general. And God's design, to just rehash last week, is not domination or subversion. Man abusing authority is not what is supposed to be happening. But, friend, that is what most men take this to be. If, they, they, if my wife can just be barefoot and pregnant, then life is good. I can go do my thing, and life is good. It's not what God's getting at here, but because of Adam's self-centeredness, because of his lack of leadership as he ought to believe, the misuse of power has rolled down the chain from the start of Eden. So friends, some have abandoned this in other expressions. You know, we, we know that so many contexts, men have been charged to lead, but they just leave it up just like Adam. And only when it becomes an issue for things they want to do is when they will push back, when their wife or a lady in their life infringes on an area they push back only because that's an idol in their lives but what we see here from Adam and what we need to know is that God tells him he will now have a lot of pain in his sin do you know what it is this, this sounds like an average day work for most of y'all blue collar workers here you go by the sweat of your face verse 19 you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken so much for that retirement package Adam guess what You get to work till you die. Anyone feel like that ever? That's the punishment, gender-specific for the man. Man was commanded to do in a way woman was not commanded to do. Punishment for sin is linked to his responsibility. Ladies, let's look at yours in this. How did sin affect you? If men were abandoning duty and misusing power, ladies, according to the account we have here in Genesis, there is a pathetic firing of any accountability a pathetic firing of any accountability. Not that the woman wasn't responsible. Ultimately, man was, Adam was. That's why he goes, God does, to man himself. But woman was clearly and directly responsible for her disobedience to God. Sin causes the woman to think, well, if I'm just the helper and he's the head, he's in charge, I'm not accountable for what I do. This happens all the time in our society. How many news accounts have you seen of ladies who have just let their kids run wild, literally? Literally. To the point of, well, there's no father in the picture. I just feed them, I clothe them, and hope they come back at night. It's craziness. Or other things such as that. Ladies, you are not a doormat. God has never wanted you to be a doormat. But with the responsibility before God is how you also think and what you think. And what we know from this passage is, is that Eve did not think correctly about how to handle the situation. She knew the command, yet she followed it. And that's why the second thing that sin distorted here, just like Adam, there was a self-centered disobedience, but this time against authority. Go down to verse 16, and some of you, I I really want to hash this out. I was in my study this week. I, I had to learn this truth. But do you see there at the end of verse 16 where it says, your desire shall be for your husband. Now, on the surface, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, with so many broken marriages, wouldn't you think that a desire for your husband is exactly what God is going for here? But friends, that desire for your husband, actually in the original, is a desire to overpower him, to oppress him and his leadership and work against it. It's a defiance of authority. It's a desire to be and take over his leadership in a competitive way. And that's what Eve tried to do. Eve tried to be the spokesperson. Eve tried to be the one it's my way, my rule. I'm in charge here. Or uh, what's that old sixty song, Hit the Road, Jack? Ain't you coming back no more? And, you know, that song. That's what is happening here with sin's distortion of Eve's perceived. And what is her punishment? Ladies, I don't have to spell this one out for you if you've ever had a kid. I've heard guys say, we joke about this, well, I got I fell off a ladder and it hurt so bad. It's like having a, having a baby. Ladies, is that true? No, all the heads are shaken. Absolutely not. Man had to work the ground, but the role of bearing children falls upon the lady's shoulders. Man can't do that. No matter what Arnold, there was an old movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger where he had a baby from the 90s. You may remember that. But this is uniquely just gender specific to a woman will bring pain to a woman. But notice how much sin is intertwined with manhood and womanhood. It's a direct assault from Satan on, on, on how God designed it to be. Can you picture Satan at the end of verse three and he says, look, I won, I got this messed up. They're never gonna figure this out. They're they're, they're never gonna figure this out. You know, today men are said to be, and and please know there are guardrails here. I'm not talking about abuse or over dominance or things like that. But even men trying to lead as men in the church are said to be too aggressive. So what do we say to them? Brother, be passive. Calm down a bit. Slow down, brother. Brother. Ladies, it switches both ways. Sometimes uh, we say, women, you're too passive. Be more aggressive. Be, be, be more aggressive. Sounds like a wrestling chant at most high schools I grew up in. Satan goes back and forth between each thing. He tries to distort the man and the woman back and forth so much that he knows he's already won the victory. If I can get a lady to act like a man as God wants it opposite to be, and a man to act like a woman how he doesn't want it to be, I've already won. And friends, if we're honest, especially in the church today, that's exactly what we have, isn't it, in America? What's a faith practical lesson for you out of this? Friends, we were made to participate in real life. You'll see this on the screen. Not to be passive observers of another's imagination communicated through advanced technology. So often the breakdown of men and women, and I am guilty more than most of this, comes because we have too much reliance on technology. I can't pastor you through Facebook. I can't pastor you through email or phone, although those are great side benefits. You can't live the Christian life through Facebook. You can't live the Christian life through social media, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. Uh, I'm sure there's a thousand more out there. Guys, ladies, to live out what we're talking about here, to fight against sin's distortion, it requires us to be honest and real with one another. And sometimes that's going to hurt. We were made to participate in real life. We were made to participate in a way that shows forth humility in sin and forgiveness as Christ forgave, as we talked about in Ephesians four thirty and 31. So you notice there then how this comes to be, the very first gospel. Look at Genesis three 15. We're bouncing around the chapter. The very first gospel comes in here about how this real life is to be played out. God tells Satan, the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall uh, bruise his heel. Look, with sin coming in, he's gonna send someone, God is, who's gonna eradicate all things. And who is that? Jesus Christ. How do we fight sin's distortion? We fight it at the cross, friends. How, as you as a husband, sir, do you fight from over dominating your wife in a way that God has not called to you, fight it at the cross. Women, how do you fight the cultural need to be a, 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 a to, to to fight against your husband and, and and to be bold and all these things in a way God never called you to? You fight it at the cross. Why? Because sin is expressed in gender, but sanctification will be also. Salvation is not. Salvation is about becoming rather the men and women God wants us to, and in Christ to be redeemed for what God has. Designed. Friends, we can only do that by being honest with each other, by confessing our sins one to another. And in many marriages, that needs to happen more often than not. We need to confess that, guys, especially, we're not leading as we ought to lead. And ladies, we're not following as a helpmate as we ought to follow, because sin's distortion. Okay, that's great, Darren. That's the theology. And guys, theology is always practical, theology doctrine is always practical. You have a doctrine in your family, right? Uh, You don't, or, well, let's go to quick trip rules. No shirt, say it with me. No shirt, no shoes, no service. Guess what? That is a doctrine. You better believe it. That is a doctrine. Or if you're like our youth pastor, you have to have hot sauce in everything that you put and eat with. It's ketchup for me. That's a doctrine of life. Always put ketchup on it, even if it doesn't need it. So what we are talking about in point one is not just pie in the sky, academic, white ivory tower. It informs where we are going in points two and three. So let's go there. Number two, friends, we need to understand what we are called to do before God as men and as women. Let me be clear. This is the ideal. This is God's design. But I understand that none of us are there. I haven't found the perfect marriage yet. There's some in here that have been married for a long time that are pretty close after 60 years. But there are many different situations, so many to list. And one thing I wrestled with this week was most sensitivities to know all your lives and all your situations. I'm going to give you the guidelines, but I don't have time to unpack every situation how this plays out. But I hope you'll see uh, past the forest and the trees for the truth. Number one, men, what are you called to do? What are you supposed to do? Men, you are called primarily and responsibly to lead. I know today that for a man to lead is often seen as a patriarchal, old-school thing that it just doesn't happen. Frank, why are you to lead? Men, you are to lead for the benefit of all women. Ladies, let me be very clear. Remember our guide rails last week. All are created equal, right? But with distinct roles. It was good in Genesis 1 and 2, and then bad from on there. Men, you are not to lead for self-enjoyment. Your leadership is for the good of others in the home. Christ is our leader, and he is our leader, and he is good, and we gladly submit to Christ. But God's design is for men to lead in a way that reflects Christ. Now, what about abuse? Let's speak to that for a second. That is not God's design. Actually, there's several old church historical documents that go something like this, old church manuals back in the day, those old dead guys, and they say if there's a man that is abusing his wife, the pastor should take a stout pastor elder and go visit him in his home. Do I need to fill in what they're doing to that guy if he's starting to lead in a way that God has not told him to? They're gonna take that boy out back with some men and have a nice little chat. You see what I'm saying? Men, you are to lead in a way that is for the benefit of all women. Women, this does not mean you're second-class citizens. Men, this does not mean you're a first-class citizen. This means that in the image of God you're both created equal, but with distinct roles. Secondly, you need to do this for the praise of God alone. Men, you don't do this just to be like, oh man, if I lead in this way, I'm gonna be a ladies' man. You know? Forget dating sites, forget uh Uh, you know, all those things, all the ladies are going to come flocking to me. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying is that you are under authority, gentlemen. We are under authority. Christ is our authority. We assume authority as Christ leads us. We lead our families. We lead the church. We lead those things. He points her back to Christ. That's the way God set it up, to show Christ for who he is. That's our primary duty. That is our primary duty. Why? Because it comes back to this. Because, guys, we will be held responsible someday for these things. We will be held responsible, first off, for how we guard women of this world, men. When he doesn't protect his wife from Genesis 3, man is now protector. Men go forth to war, usually not women. Remember, Joseph is told in the dream, isn't he? And we're studying this with our uh, uh, our kids on the Bible app that we have, that Joseph is called to protect Mary and the baby Jesus Look, if there are two single guys and two single ladies walking down in Westport and uh, there are people coming to, to rob them and trying to hit the ladies, guys, I hope you wouldn't just say, oh, have fun, I'm out of here. I'm gonna go get a donut down at the donut shop. Guys, I hope you would stand up at that point. Whether well, that just means taking the hit, whatever your conviction is on that and letting it be. But I pray that not a sign of manhood is pushing ladies. That goes back to our first point. That's a pathetic abandonment of what God has called you to do. Men, rise up. This doesn't mean, if I can say it again, it doesn't mean you're John Wayne. Did John Wayne ever cry? I don't know. All the guys say, I don't know. Guys, it's okay to shed a tear every now and then. It is. Uh, One of my best friends in the world, a former music pastor friend of mine, I mean, he would weep at the drop of a hat. I love him for it because that's more manly than I can ever be in some of those things. Guard women. Guard them emotionally. Guard them spiritually. Guard them physically. Women, please hear me again. This doesn't mean you're second class, but God's design is that men would rise up in this place. We will be held accountable. Men, you need to provide in the home. You need to provide in the home. Work the ground and prove to be a leader. It doesn't say that women shouldn't work or, or work outside the home. It doesn't restrict women to simply childbearing or raising. But primary accountability as the leader of the home is the man. But there are exceptions to that. I mean, if a man is is hurt or disabled or paralyzed, obviously. God understands those situations. We're not saying that at not. But you can't fulfill this manhood and say, Boy, I'm gonna set it home and just let my wife work. She makes six figures, I make thirty-seven thousand. Let's do the math here, Darren. I'm just gonna set it home. Men, that's not what God's called you to do. It's not about nickels and dimes necessarily. It is about, have you stood up, as Ephesians 4 said, to work, to give that effort? And many of you have for so many years. You need to feel the weight of that responsibility. Well, I told you, these aren't all the answers. It's a general guideline, but these are signposts for you. Gentlemen, how are you doing in these situations? Ladies, and this is probably the more controversial one, but I want to walk through the same headings. Women, what are you called to do? And before God, what are you accountable for? Let's start with women. Ladies, you are called by God's grace and design to upkeep and care for, to upkeep and care for, for men as their helper, their helpmate. This again, ladies, this does not mean that you are anything less in God's eyes. I say that a lot because I want to get that in. But through a humble disposition, you defer to man's leadership. You defer to it humbly all kinds of situations here. Look, there are single ladies. There are widowed ladies here. There are widowed and divorced ladies here. There are remarried ladies. There are are men who claim to be Christians but show no fruit of it at all that you're married to. There are men, perhaps, that are not in this room, but ladies, you may be part of an abusive relationship. Men aren't perfect, but I've yet to meet a woman who knows a man is seeking after God's heart, who wants to do how God wants him to do, to lovingly lead and protect and care for her. I've never met a lady, guys, that has ever tried to complain about that, at least in my limited experience. But ladies, what does this mean here? It means that you have been created, you've been gifted to not oppose this leadership when it's done correctly. When it's done correctly. You have been gifted as a wife in a way that your husband is not so gifted. So should you follow him? Yes, First Peter 3 says, if it does not go against the scripture, friend, lady, wife, you are to follow your non-Christian husband especially. And Christian ladies, any husband knows that you have more ability than he has already, amen? Ladies, you know that you are smarter. We know that you're more intellectual. You know that you could do it a thousand times better. Ladies, is that not true? Guys, is that not true? Amen. I'm not getting a lot of amen chorus this morning and you know why. Look, any husband knows this is already true. Any senior pastor knows this is true. I'm not great at everything. I'm I'm great at very few things, if, if mediocre at best, at anything. But we want to maximize our leadership around us. And any husband will do the same. There's a good desire not to oppose leadership that is following how God has designed it. So, ladies, how should you do this? Number two, you should do it with chief devotion to follow Christ's leadership. Biblical womanhood says, not whatever my husband says, I do no matter what. That is not what biblical womanhood says. Friends, it says you should have a discerning spirit, ladies. It says that you should submit to your husband as he submits to Christ. If he wants her to do something that goes against Christ, she yields to Christ, not him. She doesn't check her brain at the door. Hope that makes sense. if you're, I gave this illustration about six weeks ago. If your husband says, let's go build a rocket ship so we can blow up the whole earth... Ladies, it's okay to say, I don't think Jesus would want me to do that. You see that. Husband, if your husband isn't a believer, but she loves her husband and longs for him to come to Christ, I would encourage you to read 1 Peter 3. It says, uh, you know, in those times, husband, I want to submit to you, but I can't disobey the word of God. And you're praying that your husband, if he's not a Christian, will come to know Christ through a testimony of ultimate devotion to Christ. Ladies, what are you accountable for before God according to the scriptures? Genesis 3 across the board. You're accountable for at least a couple things, as men are, to lead and protect. You are to and accountable for confirming your husband. Confirming your husband. In other words, not in a competitive way. This isn't an uh, uh, American gladiator style marriage where you get in the obstacle course and try and knock each other out. That's not what we're saying. The reason why is Ephesians 5, and I'm quoting, it says, Husband, love your wives, and wives, respect your husbands. Ladies, through that respect, as he is following Christ, that is what honors Christ. Secondly, ladies, I think it's scriptural, as we see here in Genesis and other parts of Scripture, you'll be held accountable for your support in the home. Your support in the home. This does not mean, again, that I, I don't believe that ladies are restricted from working. That's not what we're saying here. It's a common question. You know, should I just stay home? If that's your conviction, then praise the Lord. But I I don't see that in Scripture. But you are equipped to compliment the man in a way which he can never do. Ladies, how many times have you saved your husband's skin by just being you, right? I mean, think about this. Uh, You provide and nurture in a way that only God can. And friends, that's the amazing thing. But don't say, if my husband gets it right or my wife gets it right, then I will do these things. No, listen, you do it no matter what anyone else is doing because that's what God wants you to do. Do you see that? It's not about fixing other people. It's about thinking through your life. Don't shift blame one to another, husband, wife, wife, husband, guy, whatever. But know and do it because you want to follow Christ. You need to ask yourself, ladies, especially, how, by God's grace, can I be the man or be the woman I I need to be? And, guys, the man I need to be. It's based on this book. This is where it all comes from. Knowing that every situation is different, these are just a few signposts. So, can we get even more practical? Are you ready? Remember, last week we were on the Mamba. We're coming down. If you've ever been on the Mamba, we're coming down to land this plane, but I need you to hold on. What does this mean? Friends, I want you to remember that this does not mean that ladies are less important. Men, it doesn't mean you're more important. But what it does mean practically, here's where it goes. Let's get very, very practical. And I want to say this up front, that this is not passivity, men, as we start with you. This is not necessarily working harder. God made you to work hard for the good of men and the glory of his name and women and children and all those things. But don't, and I, I, I've learned this more often than I can, I point point, hundred, point twenty digits back to myself, toes and hands, that I failed in these areas. By, by preaching, I want you to know this, it, just by preaching on a subject does not mean you're an expert in it. I do not claim as your pastor to be an expert in these things. But I pray this is the aim, the direction, the desire of our marriage, our life, and everything. Guys, don't wait for your life to stand up and lead. Lead it. Don't wait for it. Single guy, don't wait for a single girl to reject you. Don't make it hard on her. Make it as easy on her to get out of that asking her out. If she comes, if you go up to her, single guy, and she says, no. Don't take that as an opportunity to go and say, man, I'm going to go get flowers, chocolates, and that big teddy bear that sits in my seat that I can't even see where the dashboard with, and maybe she'll say, yes let them go easy friends how do we do this we do it first off men should lead honestly humbly and heartily honestly humbly and heartily first off in spiritual matters men and I'm speaking both in the family and in the church is your wife flourishing with God are your kids do you desire that they would grow to know Christ better and better and better take charge of that men take charge of the church in that it is incumbent upon godly men, as we saw through the pastor, brief pastor study a few weeks ago, to lead the charge of the church. It doesn't mean women are not part of that plan, but primarily accountability. First Timothy three: the men are in charge of that. Men take charge honestly, humbly, and heartily in your marital responsibilities. What this means is you don't wait for your wife to come and say there are problems. And I admit, I've learned this more often than not. You need to go to her and say, how can I love you better? How can I love you better? And you know, sometimes, and this has happened, my wife is so smart in these things, I'll, uh, you know, uh, she'll give me two or three things and then I'll forget them because that's just who I am. I'll, I'll, I'll go forget them and she'll gently remind me of them and those things. But friends, you need to be consistent men. Initiative, take it and do it. Young men without wives who are single, Grow up and get ready to have a wife. Put down your video games. Put down your PlayStation. Put down the priority list and work your tail off for Christ. Resist the trend to prolong your teenage years into your 20s and your 30s. Before you start taking a wife, start thinking about where you want to take her. And it's not just Chick-fil-A after uh, going out on on a Saturday afternoon, if you know what I'm saying. It's closed on Sunday. There is your free advice for the day, all right? It's closed why is it? I mean, I mean think about this. I, I found statistics. 48 out of 50 of the most recent IMB, International Mission Board, people to go out to the mission field were single young ladies. And they're not against single young missionary ladies. But where are the men? You want to know what are young men are doing? If I may be so frank, they're, they're in their college dorm rooms. I saw this for years, even 10, 15 years ago. They're staring at images on a screen that degrade the very females that they're wanting to pursue with their heart. Those images are in their head after time, after time, after time, after time. Guys, lead. Throw away those images. Get rid of them. <laughs> guys, rise up. Some of you young men, God may call the missions. God may call you to missions. I'm not against young ladies going, but why are the men, why are 48 out of 50 young ladies going and only two guys who said, I'll take Jesus to the end of the earth? Because we've shirked the duty on these first two things. Number three. Men, what are you called to do heartily, humbly? You are called to lead in parental discipline. And oh, if there's ever a target on my heart and the Lord's, take initiative and be humble. Love your children. Don't wait for your wife to do it. And I need to learn that more than anyone else. Lead in the primary decision-making of your home, men. In decisions, not every decision you should make it, Men, this does not mean you don't consult your wives. Wives, this doesn't mean you don't have a voice in the process. But before the Lord, before your God, men, you are accountable of how you lead your home. Boy, that's earth shattering, isn't it? He is known for making decisions for the family's good and the glory of Christ. That does not mean, women, you do not have a voice in that. Let me be absolutely clear for the second time in less than 30 seconds. But men, you are the ones to take a shot. Even if you fall flat on your face and your wife, probably nine times out of ten, is going to say, I told you so. <laughs> men lead. Lead. And also in the oh-so-regular disagreement. Ooh. No marriages ever have disagreements, amen? You guys have never had disagreements in your marriage, right? 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 It's not an issue revolving a direct command, but it's lovingly, caringly, and graciously making it and lovingly leading and guiding and protecting women. Men, that's what we're called to do. Men, you should be the chief repenter of your home. The very first one to repent of their sins should be men. Why? Let me give you a couple more things. I know we're short on time. But one thing you know about me is I like to gab, don't I? Amen. By the grace of Christ, men, you are to do this. Why? To uplift women. That's why you're to do it. Men, you should then do this to uplift women. First Peter three seven says they are not perfect, but it says also that we're not to belittle our wives or her failures or her weaknesses. But men, you are to uplift women in this by you leading humbly, heartily, and all to the Lord. In these five simple areas, you will revolutionize your marriage, men. You will revolutionize the church. And we also need to train boys to be men. I don't know, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I don't know how many of you all struggled with this growing up. Some of the greatest examples of men that we have seen in our lives have been superstars that never make any mistakes. They're of movie uh, sports figures who seem to jump off cliffs and slam dunk from every angle of the court. It's very rare when an older man takes a younger man, adolescent teen perhaps, young boy, and shows him that godly responsibility is to look like an action. You know, as teenagers, most men, how, what did you do? You were one of the boys, weren't you guys? You grew up with the boys. That's who you hung out with. It is rare these days to see older men pour into young men. You will teach teenagers and that they need to grow up, lead, and protect, and incline yourself to that man. Guys, we're going to get more into this as the weeks go on. This is the frame, but guys, I pray that you pray about how God may use these five, seven areas in your life today. I'm going to close with this for sake of time. Ladies, what does this mean for you? Ladies, you have less points to yours. But this does not mean that it's less responsibility. It does not mean that you're lesser. But I do want to encourage you with being as God called you to be in the helpmate, helper part of the home and in the church. What does this mean for you? First off, it means that you are to prudently, I love that word, prudently and eagerly in Christ, be constant in prayer. Ladies, I can tell you, because I am a guy, that often the biggest mistakes that we make in the church and in family start with us. Why? Because we think we know it all. Have you ever met a guy who thought he knew it all? Maybe you're married to one, I don't know. But guys, what you need to know is often that we are the ones that fail the most. That is there. Ladies, this is where part of your help comes in for us. You need to be in prayer for all these things. You need to pray that your husband would not be ashamed to lead in these five ways, that he would not be ashamed to lead in spiritual matters, in marriage responsibilities, in discipline in the home, in the primary decision-making, in the OSA regular disagreement, that you would pray that he would uplift all women and raise up God giving God fearing men and not just boys who know how to beat every video game that comes out on the market you know I've seen this happen with my wife so often she's so smart often I'll be praying about something and I'll come to her and say Natalie guess what God God showed me this and she'll look at me with that that look only a wife especially my wife can give me and say Darren I came to that like a month ago where have you been don't underestimate this is where you have to pray. Guys, we're slow, ladies. That's not nothing to you. You know that. But you pray. You pray. Or we might have to take some stout elders out back with all those guys that have some talking to do, and that's the truth. Friends, you submit, ladies especially, to godly men in certain contexts. If you're a wife, incline yourself this to your husband in Christ, or, not, uh, or if they're not a Christian, incline them To see you're following them. Pray, submit to God, affirm him when he does lead. Church, we need to raise up for single moms, single moms here. There are many small groups caring for single moms in this congregation. There are dads, single moms and dads, really, and they're good, godly biblical counsel. But we need to be reminding that that as ladies, as you pray, as you submit to this, men will respond in ways you've never seen them lead before. Why do you do this, ladies? Do you do this because your pastor asked you to do this? Do you do this because it's what uh, what a good Christian lady does? Perhaps, perhaps, but you do this for the glory of Christ. Ladies, why do you do these things? You do this and live in a way, and what this means is that you show girls, ladies, how to submit to, and here's the key phrase, do not miss this, to godly Ladies, as you submit in your relationships, whatever context that is, you will teach young ladies how to submit to godly men. Notice I didn't say any man who walks off, uh, you know, and just comes in the scene necessarily. But you need to show girls how to submit themselves, to look for men who love Christ. that don't have to flaunt to whatever new guy comes there just to get his attention. Because guys, let me tell you. I'm speaking to lesser single men than ever, but there are, there are single ladies all across this nation who are God-fearing, who are waiting for young, godly men to stand up and say, I am Christ, I want to serve him, and they will respond in tow. They don't care if you just beat uh, you know, Final Fantasy 29 for the fifth time in record time, or you beat Super Mario Brothers faster than the three-minute YouTube video that's really cool to watch. Ladies, as you submit to your husband to the men of the church as they lead godly you will teach young ladies and secondly you will show girls how to be godly ladies dads keep your daughters under protection i don't mean bringing out the 20-06 when you know the date comes so where are you taking her tonight you just clean it once a year just to give the guy a jive that's not what i'm talking about Does he know his scripture? Does he know, as protector, does he know who Christ is? It's not just he was baptized one time. He goes to a certain church. He's a part of it on Sunday. Does he know who Christ is? Can he lead your daughter spiritually? Can he do that? If he doesn't, he has no business being with your daughter. Moms, until a man can provide, protect, love, and lead that daughter. Friends, there's so much at stake here. This is not just about getting better programs for our church that address these issues. This is about being men and women God wants us to be. There's a bullseye on my back after every sermon, especially this one, not necessarily from you, perhaps, but from the culture. I'm not perfect. Pray for me in this. But friends, if we want to follow and be the most gospel-centered that we are, then men have this, ladies have this, equal before God, distinct in roles. Are we willing to do that? Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Father God, as we come before you, Father, even giving this sermon, reviewing it over the weekend, preparing it this week, it's not about me, it's not about my struggles in these areas so much, Lord, but it's a a real reminder that we are products of a culture that is totally, in most ways, anti-everything we just talked about. Father, whether we've been married for many years or a few, we're reminded today that, Father, we all need to confess sin to you. That, Lord, before you, we have done things we shouldn't have done in this regard, and we've tried things we shouldn't have tried in this regard. But, Lord, we're reminded that you're a God of great grace. And, Father, that... That for anyone not here today, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And while the wages of sin is death, Christ Jesus gave his life that we may have eternal life. Father, as we sing these last two songs, I I really pray you stir hearts. Father, not stir it just for a quick five-minute response, but you stir hearts and you, you, you like that giant oak tree that starts with a small seed. You ground our roots deeper and deeper that when the winds of culture come, as Ephesians 4 says, we will not be blown away by every wind of doctrine. But Lord, as we stand, we stand strong, united in Christ. Father, I don't know what Tower of You will be known for in 50 years, but I pray as we build on foundation here that we, we are known as a church that has men and women loving You distinctly, yes, equally, yes, but in the places You've put us. And we're okay with that even if the culture says that's just weird, or if they threaten us to take something away because we stand for such principle. Father, may we stand on your word. Be hell or high water, may we stand on your word. And Father, may everything we do be for the glory of your name. I pray for husbands today, many who these truths, this may be the first time they've heard them, give them great grace. Help men who've walked this path before disciple one to another pray for ladies the same. This may be the first time or perhaps a realization that, Father, things aren't the way they ought to be. And both sides of that coin, help us with God-fearing men and women together under Christ to do this. Father, we sin much, but your grace abounds all the more. Thank you for this dear congregation. Father, by grace, help us to lead and follow as you call us. We love you. Thank you that Christ died for our sins. We pray in his name in Jesus' name.